Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes & Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone. Today's podcast will focus on the regulation of speech on social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. By way of background, social media companies generally have the right to moderate third-party content on their platforms. Now, some uh, social media platforms are strict about prohibiting things like hate speech, disinformation, propaganda from other countries, and other companies take a little more hand, a little more of a hands-off approach and allow a wider array of speech. So the wrinkle we're going to get into today is that states are starting to take a more active oversight role by passing laws that limit social media companies' ability to moderate content. So some of these state laws were born out of a fear that internet companies, um, and I'm thinking here of Twitter and uh, and our former president, Donald Trump, have not been fair in, in moderating content and are censoring only certain viewpoints. Um, Twitter's decision to, to, to de-platform Donald Trump really concerned a lot of state lawmakers. So, and in, in that gave rise to these state laws. And today, our guest, Haynes Boone, Michael, uh, Haynes and Boone Associate Michael Lambert will take a look at some of these state laws and will review court cases challenging the laws as unconstitutional. Michael will also consider what the Supreme Court might have to say if it's called on to decide these, these new state laws that limit the ability of companies to moderate social media content. Michael needs no introduction, but I'll give you a quick background on him anyway. Um, he's based in our Austin office and is a member of the firm's intellectual property practice group. He focuses on media, entertainment, <clears throat> excuse me, IP, and First Amendment litigation. Before we get started, our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Michael, welcome back. Um, so really interested in these state laws. Why are states taking a more active role in this area? Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. It's going to be a really good conversation and great timing now that you know Elon Musk has officially allowed Trump back on Twitter, even though he hasn't taken advantage of that yet. Um, that, that's that's just days old, right? That just happened. Breaking news. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but Trump hasn't actually, um, you know, participated again, and is still sort of let to, left to be determined if he will. But the opportunity mm -hmm. is there, so. You know, there's always been a decent level of criticism about how social media platforms make content moderation decisions. There's also been criticism about the lack of transparency of those decisions, um, you know, through the past couple decades. But calls for reforms really started growing exponentially after the 2018 presidential election and after the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, both of those events required social media platforms to make increasingly difficult content moderation choices and sort of expose some of the inconsistencies in their methodology. You know, for example, after the 2018 presidential election, social media platforms faced criticism for allowing foreign mis- and disinformation about the election and certain candidates on their platforms and um, also were, were criticized for restricting certain speech about the election results. And during the pandemic, there was a lot of criticism about how the platforms moderated information about the pandemic, including the origins of COVID-19 and information about potential treatments. 
Um, and, you know, these critiques. Yeah, it really, it just, it became, it just seemed like almost overnight it became clear how central social media platforms are to the national conversation. It seems like it's so hard to have unanimity and agreement on certain things. And, you know, there's a lot of polarization and a feeling, I guess, that social media companies have contributed to that. And, um, yeah. And I think, you know, social media platforms highlight that in a way that in prior days, those polarizations aren't as clear. Yes, you have people with different opinions, but you don't, you're not able to quantify all those opinions into one place like you are on social media. So it becomes more aware. Um, you know, that's one of the differences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start. I know Florida was maybe one of the first out of the gate to pass a law uh, limiting how what what social media companies can do. <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of content moderation. Yeah, so Florida, um, as well as Texas, California, and New York, have recently enacted social media laws. Um, the laws in Florida and Texas is the ones that we'll focus on here um, today. And, you know, and they purport to require certain moderation decisions. Um, to require those decisions and also certain transparency about those decisions. But it's important to know that lawmakers in 34 states, uh, including states such as Georgia, Ohio, Tennessee, and Michigan, have proposed social media bills but haven't actually enacted them yet. So it's definitely burning um, in you know certain state legislatures and could definitely be you know more common going forward. Um, do you, do you but, think there might be a tendency to wait to see how the yeah. court challenges play out with these or how these laws evolve before other states follow? Yes and no. I think a fair number of legislators are arrogant enough to not really care if that makes any sense. And they, they're like, this is my state. I want to make the laws that I want and I'm going to sort of ignore that. But I think they would be ignorant to sort of just not consider that at all. So that's a really good point. I, I'm sure there are some legislators that have thought second about it after those after those cases and we are watching those cases closely, but I also figure there are probably some that don't really care to be completely yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, so Florida sure. was the, the Supreme, first. Yeah. If the Supreme court weighs in, I'm sure that will, that will do a lot to, to uh, shape how these laws look, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So back to Florida. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great though. So Florida was sort of the first person in this um, laboratory of democracy here to, to try to pass one of these type of social media laws. Um, and it was called SB uh, 772. Um, so this was signed by Governor Ron DeSantis in April of 2021. Um, and a statement that was put out by the lieutenant governor um, at the time that the bill was passed, she said that social media platforms are silencing, intimidating, and wiping out dissenting, voice, dissenting voices. And that by signing the bill, Florida is, <clears throat> quote, taking back the virtual public square as a place where information and ideas can flow freely. So that's sort of their motivation and their eyes for passing the bill. Um, but the law itself, it first declares that social media platforms are common carriers, meaning that like telephone companies and mail providers, they should freely allow third-party content and not restrict um, content and speech on their platforms. And SB 772 requires that certain speech be, be allowed on the platform and it must be allowed such as speech about or by political candidates. Um, and then also that speech must be moderated, quote, in a consistent manner. Um, and the law also requires social media platforms to disclose the standards used when making moderation decisions. Um, and it authorizes the Florida Attorney General 
and individuals to bring claims against social media platforms if the law is actually violated. So if you're a certain type of user, again, if you're a political candidate, then you ha- your your speech has to be allowed. There's no moderation, no uh, right uh, at all. Okay, right, and- right. And it, you know, it's, it, it, it will be about how the social media platforms interpret the language, uh, right? Mm-hmm. They're obviously, if the law is upheld, they will have to implement it in some way. And there'll be, I'm sure, a lot of parsing of the exact language there. Um, yeah, and I, I guess it sounds like it hasn't taken too long for, for critics to fire back at these laws and mount some challenges. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, so... Um, a trade organization called NetChoice um, actually represents a conglomerate of social media platforms such as Google, Meta, Twitter, um, and others. So they basically sort of gathered together to challenge um, the Florida law as unconstitutional under the First Amendment. And their basic argument is that, you know, state governments dictating content moderation decisions violates the First Amendment because social media companies like newspapers have the right, their own right to make editorial decisions about what information to publish and to host on their platforms. Um, They also argue that the transparency requirements violate the First Amendment right uh, against compelled speech. Um, And And let me just just pause there. So the transparency, when you say transparency, that means that these laws would require, if I understand it correctly, companies to disclose whatever their, whatever their, moderation policy is just to sort of put their rules of the road out there for people to know this is how we moderate in some states some laws will require well some states laws will allow users to request information about those particular decisions relating to them from the social media platform so they're seen as sort of due process requirements meaning if you are banned or you if your if your post is taken down you can appeal to the social media platforms, basically asking, hey, why did you take my content down? Okay. And so that's because it seems it seems pretty really benign in a way to to say, hey, just you know, put your rules out there so that people know this this is what your procedures are, this is your methodology for for moderating I, speech. I I agree. The problem is is as you would imagine, the decisions are so subjective, you know an average person reading those rules could come to many different conclusions about curtain content. So I think that's a little bit of the fear that people will misunderstand them and and not realize that it's, although there are rules of the road, there's, these are very, very subjective decisions, which I think is some of the pushback from the social media platforms is if you were going to tell us how to moderate the decision, it's very hard, much harder to implement that than it seems like it would be. So, Michael, before I guess we go into particular issues with this Florida law, why, why don't you just, uh, if you could, just go through some of the arguments for and against it? Um, yeah. So the social media companies largely argue that um, they have a right as publishers to make editorial decisions and to decide what's on their platform. Um, and they're largely relying, they're relying on a, on a, on a, on a, a fair amount of Supreme Court uh, jurisprudence, but there's a couple cases in particular that they rely, they are relying on in their arguments. And one of them worth noting is, is called Miami Herald versus Tornillo. Um, this is a 1974 case. And basically in that case, the Supreme Court held that 
Florida's right of reply law that required the Miami Herald newspaper to publish certain content in its newspaper violated its own First Amendment editorial rights, meaning that the Miami, Miami Herald has its own rights to determine what is actually allowed in the newspaper. And similarly here, the social media platforms are arguing that they have that similar editorial discretion to determine um, who can post on their platform and what actual speech can be allowed. And on the other hand, um, the states are largely, largely arguing that social media platforms are more like neutral conduits um, that should allow um, the lion's share of information through and shouldn't um, you know, in their eyes, discriminate based on certain certain contexts. And they rely on a 1980 Supreme Court case called Pruneyard versus Robbins. And in that case, the court held that an owner of a shopping mall could not exclude uh, certain high school students that were engaged in political activity at the mall. Um, the court said the mall was required to host uh, the speech of these students. Um, so here, the analogy is that um, social media platforms are like this shopping mall and they can't exclude um, the speech of other people. So that's sort of the conflicting views there. Um, there's a lot stronger arguments favoring the social media platforms um, historically. Um, I think one of the challenges, though, is that is judges seeing how different social media companies are than the Miami Herald, for example, and that may cause them to pause a little bit and say, maybe they should be treated differently because they're not quite the same, but they're also not quite the same as common carriers. So that's the struggle and that's what courts have been dealing with and will deal with. That's interesting. Yeah, you say shopping mall, you think of the classic example of the town square. If a city designates a particular area as a place where people can put up a soapbox and offer their political perspectives. Right. I guess the thought is that, that, that maybe social media platforms are like that, that they're, they're providing a town square for ev anyone and everyone to just offer their views. Yeah. Right. By that argument. So what, um, in these, so these, the Florida law has been challenged. What have, what have courts said about the challenges? I think you started to talk about it. Yeah. So the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals sided with the social media platforms and held a three to one that most of the provisions of SB 772 violated the First Amendment. Uh, it determined that social media platforms are private actors, not common carri carriers, and that they make expressive editorial decisions protected by the Constitution. So this is a quote from the court decision. When platforms choose to remove users or posts, deprioritize content in viewers' feed or search results, or sanction breaches of their community standards, they engage in First Amendment-protected activity. So that's sort of the gist of, uh, of the ruling there. Um, so the Florida Attorney General has asked the Supreme Court um, to review the 11th Circuit's ruling. Um, the Supreme Court has not yet decided whether it will review the case, but as we'll discuss a little bit later, most people believe that the Supreme Court will likely review the, the holding. So as of now, this Florida law is is a dead letter, at least at least at the, at this point. It hasn't taken effect yet, correct? Yeah. So tell me about you mentioned Texas earlier that they have a, a law that's been enacted. Yeah. So in September 2021, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed HB 20, which is a similar similar uh, social media law. And upon signing the bill into law, he said the following: uh, Social media websites have become our modern day public square. They are a face. Uh, they are a place for healthy public debate where information should be able to flow freely. 
But there is a dangerous movement by social media companies to silence conservative viewpoints and ideas. That is wrong, and we will not allow it in Texas. So that shows clearly their viewpoints of how they perceive uh, social media content providers, social media providers, and how they treat their content. Mm-hmm. So HB 20, it features two main sections, sort of similar to the Tennessee, I mean, to the um, Florida law. Uh, Section 7 bans social media platforms with more than 50 million active users from censoring a user, a user's expression, or a user's ability to receive expressions of another person based on the, quote, viewpoint of the user of an or another person. And Section 2 is the transparency requirements. That requires social media platforms to release certain information about their algorithms in particular and to publish um, certain policies that they hold about um, how they make their content, um, content moderation decisions. And that law was also challenged similarly um, in the Fifth Circuit. Yeah, that's the transparency component. I mean, the first prong of that seems to be pretty broad. It's you're not allowed to censor someone's um because of their viewpoint, I mean, that could encompass anything. Um, you could, anyone could say, well, that's, that's just my viewpoint, so I can't be censored. Um, Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Pretty much. so has that triggered a backlash, the law? Yeah, it has, you know. So it was challenged immediately um, in the district court judge here in Austin, where I'm located, um, struck down the loss under the similar line of thinking as the 11th Circuit saying that, Social media platforms have the First Amendment right to make content moderation decisions, but the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals actually have had rever- have reversed that decision um, two to one um, and held that in their eyes, the Section 7, the first part, is constitutional because it actually chills censorship, not speech, censorship of the social media platforms, not speech. And on the other hand, it's 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 explain that in their eyes, the social media platforms are actually um, suppressing the speech of the users. Their speech themselves are not being suppressed. So that is sort of the difference in the way the Fifth Circuit is seeing this case than the Eleventh Circuit, is that they see the actual like victims of censorship being the users, where the Eleventh Circuit sees the social media platforms being the victim of censorship from the government, which is the sort of the original understanding of the First Amendment, right, is that the government, Congress, shall make no law. Um, So the Fifth Circuit has a little different um, interpretation of that. And I think that stems from just how different speech is conveyed and controlled on social platforms than it is in other traditional forums. Um, So right now, the Fifth Circuit has stayed its own ruling um, to allow the social media platforms to challenge the the case before the Supreme Court. They haven't yet filed their brief, but that should happen any day now. So soon the Supreme Court will have um, the choice of granting um, or reviewing the Fifth Circuit decision of the Texas law or the 11th Circuit decision of the Florida law, or they could al- they could also agree to accept both and consolidate the cases. I mean, what do you think? It's such a high profile issue. It feels like the sort of thing that the Supreme Court would want to weigh in on. Yeah, that seems extremely likely. I mean, there are certain markers that people look at to determine whether the Supreme Court will review a case. And sort of the first one usually is, is there a split among the circuits? Meaning, is there different courts in different parts of the country interpreting laws differently? And that's exactly what you have here, right? The Fifth Circuit had held um, 
Texas's law uh, constitutional, which is very similar to the law that the 11th Circuit found um, was was unconstitutional, right? So there's a direct challenge there. So that, in addition to the high profile nature of, of the issue and sort of wanting a sort of uniform um, ruling on this on this case, I think is important. And I think all, all that shows that they're most likely going to take the case, it's just sort of a matter of, of when that occurs. And then it's, I mean, this is a, obviously a highly political issue. It's, um, it seems like a, a, a judge's ideological orientation will factor heavily in, into how they rule on this. I mean, you start thinking about uh, the conservative uh, or the, you know, the political persuasions, the different Supreme Court justices and counting votes. Um, I mean, would you, what do you think? How would you handicap how the Supreme Court's going to decide this if they do take it up? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Clarence Thomas has made his views pretty clear in some dissents about his views um, on the topic and does tend to see social media platforms more as censors in the Fifth Circuit vein. Um, and I think that argument's going to be, um, you know, a little take a little more priority in the conservative justices' views, you know, Justices, um, Justice, Justice Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh, and Roberts. Um, but there is, you know, even though there is that like sort of political underlying here, there is sort of just the first amendment jurisprudence at stake. And even the conservative justices, even though they may differ on certain things, typically have a strong view of first amendment rights or, and are very, um, and are not willing to sort of cut back on those unless there's an extreme situation. So I think, you know, it will be interesting to see how the case is presented and what issues are being argued. Um, as we mentioned on a previous podcast, the case, the court is also reviewing Section 230, which is a immunity um, provision for social media platforms. So there's an interesting overlap there where the court is deciding two issues um, relating to sort of the same type of um, business. So um, it will be interesting to see if that comes up in oral argument and if those cases are sort of, um, you know, if, if the results are, are different compared to those two cases. But I think it's a tough question. There's really hard questions here. These are all novel questions, which is why the Supreme Court is being asked to decide it. Um, so it, it, it's difficult to predict. But um, I think most people would just hope for some kind of uniformity here because, you know, these states so that so that these states have some kind of direction going forward on, on what type of laws they can pass and what they can't and sort of where the line is drawn. I mean, that raises an, that raises a good question I hadn't thought about. You really, I don't know how you, how this area could be amenable to state law. I mean, you, you have, you can't have a, you've got to have one, you know, the social media companies can't have one policy in Oklahoma and another in Texas and another one in, you know, in New Jersey. I mean, it seems like it would call out ultimately for a federal law deciding, you know, what the rules of the road are here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Nathan. That's what most people would respond as like, hey, isn't this Congress's place? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is yes, it is Congress's place, but they're not <laughs> they're not doing anything about it. And yeah. I don't know I don't know if they will. So as we've seen in so many other areas of law, it ends up at the Supreme Court's doorsteps when it shouldn't be at their doorsteps. And that's what we have here. And right it's there, interesting, of course, we're you know the the way our election cycles are these days. We're already kind of into presidential election season for for twenty twenty four, and I think as that gathers steam, um, these issues will kind of continue to play out in the in the public square, and there'll be 
probably more more momentum potentially for states to to wade in here. Yeah, I think they will. And until there's a clear guidance from the Supreme Court or Congress, I think states are going to still enact them. Um, but, you know, it puts social media companies sort of in a difficult position because you have one state saying you can do X and then another state saying you can't do X, but you have to do Y. So it, it's difficult, right? The Internet doesn't stop at state lines. I mean, it goes doesn't stop in the country either. It goes the whole entire world. So um, it's very yeah. it's very difficult. And it and and if these laws did go into effect, it would really change how these social media companies operate and the things that they are and aren't um, able to do, the decisions that they are or aren't able to make. For sure. For sure. Um, well, Mike, uh, Michael, thanks so much. Really interesting topic. Uh, before we sign off, I want to invite listeners to visit the firm's website at haynesboon.com where you'll first off find uh, Michael's uh, bio. You can find out more about uh, Michael and his practice. You can also find our media and entertainment litigation practice page, uh, which contains links to our media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter and to all of our HB Media Minute podcasts, which are also available wherever you get your podcast. Thanks and look forward to, uh, to the next issue of HB Media Minute.